Welcome to the Hope Collective Message Podcast, where we find a confident expectation of a better tomorrow in the character and promises of God. To learn more about who we are, visit thehopeco.com. Here's today's message. Whew, it's the one-year mark of our Give Hope, uh, we say, initiative, capital campaign, and we have so much to celebrate and yet so much more to accomplish for God's kingdom. We set out to raise $11.1 million in two years with about 700 people. And we're like, what? And last year, over $8.1 million in pledges came in. Right? Wow! (laughs) How soon you forget your wow? There it is, right? Absolutely incredible. And to think about what God has done this year, he's got so much more that he wants. How many of you have lived in this Christian faith long enough to know that God tends to take what you think he's gonna do and one-up you or two-up you or three-up, right? It's just like he blows you away. You think this is what God's gonna do and God does this. And so stop putting him in that box and keep him out so he can keep doing what he's doing. And that's what's happening around here. Last year at this time, we launched our Give Hope initiative with a message series around building bigger tables and that when hope is actually brought to a community through Jesus, tables begin to get bigger. And you'll hear, you heard in this video and you'll hear us say all this time, a church that is an indispensable commodity to its community is a church that puts the community needs ahead of itself. So we don't selfishly do things around here We always try to do what we believe God is asking us to do. And a lot of times it doesn't benefit us, but it benefits those in need of Jesus that ultimately benefit Jesus. And so I just want you to, when you hear that, that's not just something we say. That's actually at the forefront of who we are as a church. And so the tables are getting bitter. We aren't done, though, because God isn't done. Um, Alex, you know, anybody's prepared a message before, right? You're in message prep and you're like, man, this line right here, this is it, <laughs> right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this line and the church is going to come unglued and fall apart. And like for the, I mean, the extroverts and the introverts are going to get up and dance. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, this, that's the line. Somebody's like, this is manipulative. No, it's not. It's correction. (laughs) We are done. (laughs) Okay, maybe it's a little manipulative. I can just admit it. We're not done yet, though, and here's the deal. Because God's not. And I actually believe that. I actually think this goes beyond two years. It's one thing to have a vision for making room in our lives to love others like Jesus. It's another thing to actually do it. To actually love them with the room that you've been given. With the margins you've created. At the one year mark of Give Hope, we want to look at the life of Jesus and his interactions with different people. To hear what his invitation to us might be for the remainder of this initiative. Whether it's just this next year or beyond. And whether someone has been part of the Hope Co. for decades and you're in the room or you've just jumped in and you're in the room or you're still checking things out and you're here or you're even skeptical about what's going on and you're here, 
and you're all welcome. Jesus' invitation is the same. It's the same. I'm not getting a chain. But he is risen. Still, still. Same energy from last week, right? Wow. The invitation is the same. Pull up a chair. I don't know when it was for you. For me, it was when I was young. It really took when I was a sophomore in high school. Jesus came and revealed who he was to me in a way I never imagined. Called me to be a pastor. And I started on a believing journey where my hope and faith was in Jesus. And if he never did another thing for me, he'd done enough. Because he died on a cross. He gave his life so that I wouldn't have to or that I would know how to. And he rose from the dead so that I could live in the dead places in my life. And he pulled up a chair in that moment and invited me into his family to sit at his table. And I don't know where you were or when that was for you, but many of us in the room through our faith in Jesus have sat in the chair that Jesus pulled up because he pulled up a chair. He invited you to his table. So let's talk about where we've been and where we are and what Jesus is inviting us into next. And please hear me. It will never, ever, ever be less than a radical redirection of your heart. I need you to understand this. It will, following Jesus is not Jesus as a value-add proposition to your pursuit or your definition of the American dream. He actually will not be a value add to your life. He will not be a drawer on the dresser. He will be the dresser or he won't be anything. You don't get a savior without a Lord. You don't have a savior if you do not have a teacher. It is nothing less than every bit of who we are. We're surrendered to God and that might take your life, but at least your heart is God have it all. God, I'm going to fight you for some of it just to let you know. I'm just being honest with you, but I want you to have it all. But I like some of it, and I shouldn't. But have it all. It is nothing less than a radical, and how do you know a radical redirection of your life has happened? Well, your time and your talent and your treasure goes way more to the kingdom than it does to you. Than it does to your family. It's how you know. See, this is not the church that you'll be comfortable having Jesus as a value-add proposition to your pursuit of the, of the American dream. Sunday morning Christianity won't satisfy you here. Why? <laughs> because Jesus has more for you than that. Can, can you just hear this? If your faith is a Sunday morning faith, he has way more for you than that. Don't settle. He's pulled up a chair and invited you into an amazing family. Join that family, but don't join it. Hey, I'm in. No, that's rude. You don't sit at a table like that. You sit in the chair and you join the family and you're all into the moment. And that's what he's calling and asking us to. We say this all the time and Alex said it this morning. We have a strong agenda for your life if you call this church home. This is not the church that you're going to come into and we say, hey, man, we're glad you're here. Sit back, have your coffee, enjoy yourself while we entertain you and hope you like it when you leave and maybe you'll come back. <laughs> Done. <laughs> Done with that church. It's not about you and it's not about me. It's all about him. 
We come into this place to glorify who he is. And so the agenda that we have for your life is simple. To help you become more like Jesus for the sake of the world. To help you become more like Jesus for the sake of yourself? No. Although it's part of it. But for the sake of the world. See, Jesus pulled up a chair and said, ask you to sit in it, and you made a decision to sit in it, but he didn't just ask you to do that for yourself. He said, now that I've, I've asked, I said pull up a chair, now I need you to ask others to pull up a chair. That's what's happening here. Oh, whew. pull up a chair. Let's talk about where we've been and where we are and what Jesus is inviting us into. But in every one of those conversations, will be the continued invitation by Jesus, by this church, to pull up a chair. Why? Because God's growing bigger tables. It's just what he's doing. He's bringing people in. As we meet the needs of people, not just physically, but emotionally, mentally, spiritually, relationally, which is the whole person, people are coming to know Jesus, and as a result, they're joining our tables. But they don't need to know Jesus just to join our tables. We can invite them to our tables, no matter who they are, where they are, or what they've done. Because that's what Jesus did. These, this series is built around Jesus and his interaction with four individuals or groups of people who were present at Matthew's table in Matthew 9, 9 through 13. What would Jesus' invitation to the table, pull up a chair, have meant for each of these people or groups of people? And so today we're talking about the disciples. Now you were given a series booklet, so if you wanna grab that and pull that out, it was on your sheet when you came in and love for you to take that home. In the beginning of it, you'll get a little bit more of the vision. You'll get to see what we've actually accomplished, but what God is still calling us to accomplish. So there's still a lot to do based on what we believe God's asking of us that we know he'll do, but not in our strength and his. But as you get about halfway through, there's sermon notes too. So we'd love for you to open that up and take, take thoughts down because here's how God works. You don't grow on a Sunday morning hearing a great message. It's just not how it works, Okay. You grow when you write something that God is saying to you or revealing to you or hitting you over the head with and you write it down and you take it back to your community and you ask hard questions about it. And not just about the truth, but about you. And that truth lands on your lies and begins to transform you from the inside out. That's what we want you to do with this. Stand with me as we read from the word of God this morning. Whew. Starting in Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew. Real quick on Matthew. Matthew was a Jewish man, but he was a tax collector, so he was a traitor to his people. And so nobody liked Matthew. Matthew was very unliked. And he's sitting at the tax booth. And Jesus says to him, follow me. And he rose and he followed him. You're play wow. Right? Right? <laughs> Why? Because if you ever played follow the leader, right? Follow the leader, the rule of the game is you follow the leader. And when you don't follow the leader, you're what? Yeah. It's follow the leader. We like to follow Jesus with our expectations, right? And what we want him to look like. And he needs to agree with us instead of us agree with him. And we lead him sometimes, right? Jesus, take the wheel. The song about it. Follow me. And he rose and he followed him. God, would we be like that? And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, this is now in Matthew's house, Luke will tell you that. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, 
They said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, so they're in trouble now, he said, those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what it means. And I would encourage us to do the same. I desire mercy, not your sacrifice. For I came not to call righteous, call the righteous, but sinners. And so this is the word of God. And so we pray as Jesus asked us, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know what's fun? Praying with your eyes open, you get to see each other. Isn't that fun? I still can't find the verse that says, close your eyes. So, so just real quick, and I wasn't supposed to say this, but I want to say this. And so maybe God can use this. When he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, this sacrifice has to do with a lot of our doing. All right? And the mercy has to do with the relationship and how we're being with each other. So Jesus says, I desire how you are with each other more than the things you do to appease me. It's powerful. That's another sermon for another day. Pull up a chair. Jesus does this for you just like he did it for Matthew. But can you imagine this for a second? And, and I don't know where you are in, in your relationship with the Lord, whether you have one or you don't have one or you do. But can you, can you imagine Jesus seeing Matthew and knowing Matthew and knowing that his disciples that are already with him know Matthew and knowing the culture and, and looking at him as he's going by and he's got a crowd and he says, hey, Matthew. And Matthew's like, oh, I'm in tr- I, I, know, I know I'm in trouble. And he says, you follow me? Could you imagine all of the story in that moment that was beginning to be healed in Matthew for everything that he'd ever been called and said and told about his, his unworthiness for the, for the king of kings to say, Hey, I have a chair for you, Matthew. Matthew, you want to sit at my table? I don't, I don't care how bad you think you are. There's a chair for you at the God's table. Just like there was for Matthew. And so when we stepped into a relationship with Jesus because God pulled up a chair for us, And we sat down in it. We joined this family. Verse 9, he says, follow me. But not on your terms, on his. Can I just ask you in this moment, when you think about your relationship with Jesus, wherever you're following following him on your terms, would you just stop it? I got in trouble first service a little bit, and I know afterwards when I'm in trouble because people come up and tell me I'm in trouble. Be- because I say things sometimes, and it's, it's, it's said with a different spirit in which it's received. Perception's reality, it's all interrupted by fact, right? I, I need you to know, um, if I say something that offends you or is harsh or, or hurts your feelings or whatever it is, can you just lean into it? Because maybe there's a reason the Holy Spirit wants you to hear that. And maybe the tension you have in your soul has nothing to do with me or what was said and more to do with what God's wanting to do in you. But I'm going to say some strong things today that might hurt your feelings. 
or my, but, but I just, I need you to lean into that. I think we got to get more durable. I think we got to know whose we are. And so we're not perfect unless you are. And if you are, then, Hey God, right? Where's, but you're not. And therefore there are things in you that God wants to change deeply. And you're not always right. You're not. And neither am I. And so we need the Holy Spirit and we need God's word and we need each other to, to, to help shape us into what God wants us to be. Are you seeing that? And so stop following Jesus on your terms. It's not what he asked you to do. He said, follow me. And there is a way to follow him that he's inviting us into. And when you're part of a family, family comes with, I'm off on a tangent, help me Jesus. Act like Jesus' family, not like, don't make Jesus part of your family. You become part of Jesus' family. Okay. And so the first group at the table is Jesus' disciples. That's us. Jesus said, those who would come along and believe, he's prayed for us. This is his invitation to them and us. Follow me. Pull up a chair. But, but listen, be careful. This is where I got in trouble for service. This isn't easy. If somebody convinced you that following Jesus was easy, they did it to manipulate you to get you into the kingdom. It's not easy. And, and here's the other thing. If you're going to step in the kingdom, you can't be fragile. Or you've got to admit the fragile places so that Jesus can bring some durability to you. We, we live in a culture that's so fragile and that fragility has come into the church and now we can't even disagree with each other. Then how do you learn and grow? I'm glad there's secondary theology in the church that goes beyond primary theology and that we get to argue about it and disagree about it. Is Jesus born of a virgin Mary? You're darn right he was and you can't argue. That, that's bricks and mortar. But there's some other things that we get to talk about. And you can't be fragile because here's what else is true. You can't just be on the invite side and not be on the challenge side. We've got to be admonished. We've got to be told we're wrong. We've got to be pressed. We've got to be crushed. And that's not for the fragile. And here's the deal. The place where you're getting your identity outside of Jesus will, will dictate your fragility. And if your identity comes from what you do or who you are or what you allow people to say about you, then you are fragile and you are, you are there for them to walk all over. But it's you if you will let your durability come from the only one who can actually name you, and that is Jesus, and let him sit at the core of who you are, then you can receive whatever comes. Why? Because nothing can separate you from the love of Jesus. You are a child of God. And so I know because you love me, you're not trying to hurt me, but you're trying to admonish me because I need to become like Jesus, and I'm not. And you've looked at me and you said, hey, I see something that doesn't look like Jesus in your life. And then we get our feelings hurt. And I'm not saying... That just because you get your feelings hurt, you're fragile. It's what you do when you get your feelings hurt. But sometimes we get our feelings hurt way too easy because we have allowed the world to tell us who we are instead of Christ. And you will know because when Christ is telling you who you are, whatever comes doesn't destroy. Wow. 
That's why when the person came to me first service and challenged what I said, I said, I can fix that. I just did. Thank you, Michael. No, but you can't be fragile. This isn't easy. If you're going to sit in the chair that's pulled up for you, you're going you're to need to learn invitation and challenge. And I'm, I'm, whoa, here we go. Look at this. This isn't my idea up here. This is uh, from Building a Discipling Culture by Mike Breen. It's a book. If you've ever been part of huddles, we talk about this all the time. One of the first things we talk about is if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, which, by the way, if you've stepped into a relationship with Jesus, you're not becoming a disciple. You are one. There's no in-between, okay? You are one. So this comes from that, and this is invitation challenge matrix, all right? And so here's what happens. If you only allow high invitation, meaning, hey, you're awesome, come in, we'd love to have you apart, come as you are, blah, 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 right? But you have no challenge, then you're a consumer of a cozy culture. But if you got low invitation, there's none of that, and you've got low challenge, you want to talk about a boring, apathetic culture where nobody's being transformed? Who wants to be part of that? And if you've got low invitation but high challenge, we know some of those people, right? They don't, they don't deal with love at all. It's just truth. We need both. Jesus managed both, right? Well, then that's a stressed out, discouraged culture, and I never feel like I'm making it because I'm always told I'm wrong. But Jesus fostered a high invitation and a high challenge culture, and it showed up all the time. Follow me, invitation, and I will make you fishers of men. That's a process. That's a challenge. So Peter steps up, and Jesus says, who are people saying that I am? They say, some say you're Elijah, and some say that you're uh, Elijah reborn, and all these kinds of things, right? And Jesus said, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, well, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, well done, Peter. That's incredible. There's no way you could have done that yourself. The Holy Spirit must. And he said that because he knew that Peter on the inside is going, wow, I'm pretty smart. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> I nailed that. I feel like I nailed that. And Jesus is going, Peter, there's no way you could have known that. It must have been the Holy Spirit that revealed it to you. Stop what you're doing right here. But I'm changing your name from Peter to rock because you're sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And Peter's like, one of 12, I am currently rock. I am rock. <laughs> Nobody else is rock, but I'm rock. And that's absolutely incredible. I don't know about you guys, but Jesus just called me rock. Meantime, Jesus is saying, I've got to go to Jerusalem and I will be killed. And on the third day, I'll rise. But Peter didn't hear on the third day, I'll rise. He heard I'm going to be killed. And he heard his world crumbling down around him. And he goes, no way, Jesus, you're not going to die because I'm the rock and I'm going to save you. That's what's going to happen because you're not going to mess up my kingdom. Right? And Jesus goes, oh, get behind me, Satan. He goes from rock to Satan. He says, you don't have in mind the things of God now, but the things of men. Invitation. Peter, you're now rock, and upon this rock I'll build my church. Challenge. Get behind me, Satan. The devil's trying to use you, Peter. He's trying to use you. He's trying to thwart what God wants to do. Don't let him. Right? There's so many more examples I could give you. But we must, if we're going to be disciples, sitting at the table of Jesus, with Jesus, then there must be an invitation and challenge in our lives. We have to welcome that. That's what it means to be a disciple. I don't want to sit at a table where I'm not being invited and challenged. And I don't want to lead at a table where there isn't invitation and challenge. And so you got to drop the fragility. you got to drop the identity coming from other places. And you got to be willing to step in and grow and learn and be pressed and crushed. Why? Because that's what God gets to rebuild. That's the death to life. I spent a lot of time there. The invitation is this. Let me share more of my heart and mission with you. 
And so in 2 Corinthians 5, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. And everybody said, amen. The new is here. All this is from God. Who reconciled us to, who reconciled? Did you reconcile yourself? No. God reconciled us himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore, as followers of Jesus, part of God's family, ambassadors, Christ's ambassadors, his mouthpiece, his hands, his feet, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Oh, there's something that happens when you sit in the chair with the family of God. All of a sudden, your kingdom dies and his kingdom lives. And I don't live in the natural anymore, but I live in the supernatural, not where something is impossible, but with God, all things are. Oh, gosh. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus at Matthew's table? It means that we've already bought in. We're his and he's ours. And Jesus is inviting us into an uncomfortable, deeper level of engagement with his mission, specifically with the kind of people we share tables with. So who sits at your tables? It's kingdom over everything. Let me give you an example. The church doesn't exist for your family. We have, we have, we have I love the nuclear family. I think it's, it's an example of what the church is supposed to look like, but it is not supposed to be an idol you worship. And so kingdom over everything says that the church doesn't exist for your family. Your family exists for the church. And when you do that, no longer is religion and your family at odds. Because following Jesus is who your family is. And so you understand that you haven't just been invited, but you've been challenged to be on God's mission together. I don't separate, Natalie and I don't separate family and ministry. Why would I put my, my, pit my kids against ministry? That's, that's transformation. No, we're on a mission together as a family to bring Jesus to the world because he brought himself to us. It's kingdom over everything. So the challenge is mission, church. When Jesus, no longer, when Jesus is no longer physically at the table, we become his representatives of reconciliation. And we have to sit at the tables he sat at with the people he would have encountered and do what he did and say what he said and believe what he believed. Make no mistake, he loved them, but they changed as a result of him. I'm so tired of hearing, hey, Jesus was with sinners and sat with people and just loved them. No, he loved them and his love changed them. So is the love of Jesus in you changing the people at your tables? Because if it isn't, it might not be the Jesus that is real that you're offering. Back to your message, Ken. The disciples of Jesus, man, we think about this capital campaign and what God has been doing. It's about people who've been part of the Hope Co., and are invited to get uncomfortable in how they participate in God's mission. And so it's been watching people give up their time, talent, and treasure for the kingdom. And it's changing the community. It's changing people's hearts. It's changing lives. Hope is making a difference where despair has lived. See, the disciples weren't there to watch. They were there to learn because they would soon become the very representative of Jesus at every table that they would sit at till they died. And the ones who have accepted Jesus' invitation to pull up a chair must now become the ones inviting others to pull up a chair. 
and not just safe people and not just comfortable people and not just loving people and not just the easy people and not just the ones that you like or you're related to, but the ones he would. Because every person your physical eye sees is deeply loved by God and all of them we ought to say to pull up a chair. So last year, Georgette Zitzman, who's in sixth grade, decided she wanted to be part of this. And so she started a business selling dog food. And in one year, raised $200. Sixth grade. Every gift is precious, but these kind are so precious to the Lord. This morning, she wasn't in service because she was downstairs serving. That's what this is about. You've heard us say it. I'll say it again. God doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. But the greatest way to know where your heart is is to know where your treasure flows, where your time flows, where your talent flows. And that's what this is about. And so as disciples at the table, have you bought in? And how many chairs are you pulling up for others to sit at the table? God's done a lot. We want to tell you about it. This video is a little bit long. But it's so good as it celebrates what's happened over the past five years. You heard last year, now hear this year. Hope, it's a powerful force that can change everything. Here at the Hope Collective, we define hope as the confident expectation of a better tomorrow based on the character and promises of God. And thanks to your time, treasure, and talents, We've been hard at work turning that hope into reality. It's hard to believe that it's been a year since we began this Give Hope journey. As I look back at the way God is using this church to bring hope to our lives and the lives of those around us, I'm blown away and beyond grateful for His grace and mercy. I believe over the next few minutes as you hear what God has been doing in and through the Hope Collective, you too will be blown away and filled with gratitude and blessing at how you have blessed so many with your generosity this past year. Every gift of your time, your talent and treasure is advancing the kingdom of God in our world as we build bigger tables and bring hope both locally and globally in the name of Jesus. When this campaign started, our primary goal was to have 100% engagement from those who call this church home. That goal hasn't changed. I hope you're encouraged by that and still challenged as we pray and long for the entire Hope Collective to get involved in building bigger tables through our generosity so that others can experience the hope that we've experienced in Jesus. The primary goal of 100% engagement is a continued invitation to take our generosity to the next level by experiencing and providing for others what Jesus gave to the people who sat at his tables. It's an invitation to the next level of belonging as we ask ourselves, what steps can we take to bring the DNA of biblical community to the people we share tables with? It's the next level of freedom as we process what God is asking us to surrender that is keeping us from living in our identity as children of a generous God. And lastly, 100% engagement is about a commitment to the next level of obedience. As we ask ourselves where God is asking us to release our generosity, so that others can experience life in the kingdom of God. As you've engaged in that process, we're seeing God accomplish what we believe he's asked us during this season. 
Our secondary goal was to raise $11.1 million over the course of two years. And last year, over $8 million was pledged and we're believing God for the rest. That means that we're continuing to build the foundation, build the family and build the future. Listen to how God is accomplishing that through your generosity and church. He is just getting started. Alpha went from a small group meeting in a living room to over 120 people meeting on the Hope Collective campus. We've averaged about 160 kids coming every Sunday to learn about the hope of Jesus. Our facility is being used by ministries and small groups and community organizations every single day of the week. Over 400 people in community groups. 23 people were baptized this past year. We have been able to connect with so many students this semester. A room where hundreds of people can gather to worship and still feel like family. Average giving per family is up about 34%. Our largest one conference ever. The Hope Collective's first men's conference. We're starting small groups with parents from Buddy Break and Access. Having storyline filmed and people meeting in homes is really allowing them to open Every day I'm hearing stories of someone else whose life is being changed by what God is doing in and through the Hope Collective. And then there's everything happening through the Hope Center. Building the family. Building the family is still a huge part of the Give Hope journey. As a kingdom family of believers, the Hope Collective desires to see our family grow to include everyone that God's brought and will bring to our tables. Many of you sit here today as part of the family that God's grown at the Hope Collective in the past year. In order to fulfill our vision of every day over one day, we want to expand our facility space to serve our growing family and make room for new ministry opportunities and community partnerships through the Hope Center. That goal hasn't changed. We're in the design process of a facility that will meet the vision of every day over one day by providing a space on Sundays for us to be together in one service as a family and the other six days of the week to open our doors to the community so that our space never sits empty but is utilized to bring hope. We're excited about this part of the vision, but we also said that we would prioritize what's good for the community over what's good for us. And that's what we've done this past year. We've placed mission at the forefront so that we can become a church that is an indispensable commodity to its community. As we work to accomplish this part of the mission, we're seeing God change lives through our local and global partnerships. Listen to how God is accomplishing his mission through the Hope Center and M6A. There's so much that God is doing through the Hope Center. I can only speak to a few stories. First, our volunteers at the Hope Center Food Pantry. Their time, talent has helped feed 500 plus individuals every single week. That's an 85% increase from this time last year. And we don't see these numbers going down anytime soon. Not only that, but we've been able to form some incredible partnerships in the community. We're working with School District 95 to help over 60 homeless families from Ukraine and other countries to find new homes here in Lake Zurich. We've also teamed up with the Housing Opportunity Development Corporation to bring affordable housing for 24 families at the Melothian Manors in Lake Zurich. Soon, we'll also be working with College of Lake County to provide on-site classes to our guests, specifically English as a second language. 
One of my favorite things that Give Hope made possible this past year was the Hope Center Toy Store. Parents were able to shop with dignity for their children's Christmas gifts and what will soon become the Hope Center headquarters. I'm also excited about some of the upcoming areas of which the Hope Center will launch. Hope Fitness and Hope Employment Services and Hope Health. Giving back to our community in a way that will make the greatest difference. Our Hope Center is the result of a process we walk through to discover the deepest injustices in our community and do something comprehensive about it. With the birth of M6A through the Give Hope campaign, we are now becoming a global family of justice-seeking churches. We are linking arms with leaders in North America and internationally to share knowledge and resources to fight for justice in any context. But this hunger in the Hope Collective started 40 years ago with a few families around a coffee table praying through how to meet the needs of the people of Lake Zurich and become an indispensable commodity to the community. Here we are again, but now the family is growing and the tables are getting bigger. When you think about everything God has done in just one year, as we responded in obedience to the Give Hope vision with our time and talent and treasure, can you even begin to imagine what this next year could look like and how God will continue to use us to share His hope with the world? Our vision for the Give Hope campaign hasn't changed. If anything, the two years of this campaign will only be the beginning of what God has birthed deep inside His church as we join Him on His mission to reconcile the world to Himself through Jesus, our hope. So where are we headed? From building the foundation to the family to the future, we are committed to seeing this vision through. That means creating a space where our church family can gather in one place for one service, a space which will also create more opportunity to serve our community and meet the needs around us, whether that's through a school or a daycare or a place for local sports programs to come and utilize the space to impact the lives of young people in our community. It's a place for ongoing spiritual formation and leadership development and training that extends beyond a Sunday. For our community, it's about finishing the Hope Center headquarters so that even more people can experience the hope of Jesus. It's the possibility of a permanent location for the food pantry and a thrift store in the community that allows us to create jobs and generate income to continue supporting what God is asking of us. It's providing a transportation service to meet a critical need in our community for those who can't get to the resources they need. It's a residency program to raise up the next generation of young leaders that will be the church when we're gone. And the list is growing. Globally, it's continuing to plant justice-seeking churches and joining with like-minded leaders around the world. The landscape of global missions is shifting towards partnerships with indigenous leaders, wherever they are, to meet the tangible need and foster transformational relationships in their communities, just like we're doing in ours. We're not just a local church. We're a global family of justice-seeking churches that is only beginning to see what God can do with a group of people who refuse to be one day a week Christians, but take up His cross every day and follow Him wherever He leads. This is so much bigger than us. We serve a God who accomplishes the impossible. And if we want to keep up with what He's doing, 
our entire church has to give its wholehearted yes to God's invitation to join him on his mission. Everyone who calls the Hope Collective their church home has to take up their part of the Give Hope campaign. Isn't it amazing to see and hear what God has done through the Hope Collective M68 and the Hope Center? I mean, I was in your shoes about a year ago. I was sitting here hearing this compelling vision for the first time, and my wife and I wanted to get involved. Uh, we weren't quite sure how to participate. And we found out that the Give Hope is for everyone. Everyone who considers themselves a part of the Hope Collective. And our desire is to get the entire church, 100%, huge goal, but 100% of us all together around the Give Hope initiative. Each family committing to be a part of making hope happen. Uh, we invite you to make a 12-month generous commitment to Give Hope. And about a year ago, many of you did make that commitment. You made some drastic changes in your life. Maybe uh, you went from a completely new level of generosity and still are adjusting to that lifestyle. That kind of commitment takes a huge adjustment. And we thank you for that. But we also know people have lost their jobs or changed their jobs or had unexpected financial expenses. We want to encourage you, you have got this. We can do this together. We can do this as a family. Keep going strong. And uh, there's those of you that this is not too hard. You're, you've been surprised. You've made these huge sacrificial commitments and you're wondering, maybe I need to increase it. Uh, maybe like my wife and I, we started to ask the questions of like, is this sacrifice stretching us enough? How do we get our kids more involved? Or are there things that we can delay or deny um, ourselves some financial comforts to see this vision become a reality. Because as you've heard, this vision is worth getting on board with. We have this opportunity to pull up a chair and join the conversation. A plan of making something much bigger than ourselves the focus, all for the glory of God and the honor to Him. The Hope Collective, we desire to get together 100% participation. So will you pull up a chair and join the table? Stand with me. I said it earlier, I want to say it again. I've never been more excited to be part of something. Hard to put into words the spiritual things that God's doing. But we're trying. What I would say to you is, um, if you're new in the last year, um, and even if you're not, on April 28th, it's a Friday night, we're going to gather together and we're going to celebrate what God has done this past year where hope is happening. And we would love to, you to come out and join us um, for that event. Whether you've uh, come in the last year or you haven't, show up and let's celebrate. It's going to be a lot of fun. I also want to encourage you to take these home. Um, inside is a commitment card as we think about the halfway mark. What is God continuing to ask us to do or challenging us to do or inviting us into is just what we're asking. And if you have questions, the staff, myself, the elders, we're all here to process. We love to talk about Give Hope, not the campaign itself, but what God is doing and what he still has to do. Love you. May we be a people who give hope over everything else. God, I pray that you would lead us today. <clears throat> lead us into the unknown and may we trust you when we get there. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week. 
Thanks for spending time with the Hope Collective. If you appreciated this message, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. You can also leave a rating or review, which will help other listeners find us online. Thanks again for joining us.